beating up Wagner 60 to nothing and then going into Temple feeling like, you know, he's just the you-know-what. Like, he is just on the top of his game. Instead of possibly struggling against Boston College, losing, going into Wagner, you know, I feel like Vedral should be the guy to play that first game. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and I I mean, I don't fully disagree. It's just I also, I mean, you look at the goal this year for this team is to make a bowl game, and that is going to be extremely difficult with this schedule. Um, Obviously, you have to beat Wagner and Temple, but frankly, you probably have to beat Boston College in order to get there. Um, Yeah. There aren't a lot of easy wins on this schedule this year, and I mean, there never is in the Big Ten East, but even still... You have to put out whatever your best game is against Boston College. You can't really have the liberty of saying, uh, we'll play the quarterback we don't expect to start most of the season just because we want to give a little bit more time to the other guy. It's like, I, we got to beat Boston College. <laughs> and listen, I agree with you, Dennis. And if you think Wimsat gives that extra factor, which I believe he should be, then I'd agree with you. But it's just because it's the first game, no one really knows what we're going to get out of him. At least with Vedral, there's two seasons worth of film where you know, okay, you're going to get a touchdown and a pick and probably 200 yards passing in a short game offense. And, you know, he's not going to throw you three interceptions and be out of the game in the first half. He'll keep you in it. It'll be a close game. Now with Wimsat, you don't know what you're going to get. And that's, that's really the only thing. You could get three picks, but you also could get three touchdowns. It's whatever side of the coin you want to believe in. And I, I just, maybe it's just me thinking if we play it more conservatively with a guy in Vedral, you know what you're going to get. You just, maybe you don't lose that game so quickly if you're thinking that maybe Wimsat will struggle early on. But if you're of the mindset that he'll just do wonders right from the jump, then I completely agree with you. I think he should be the guy starting. It, it really just depends on the start you think he's going to have to his Rutgers career. That's, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, I don't know. I I think a lot of it comes down to what this team's going to look like for the entirety of the season. Um, Because I think a lot of what this team will look like week one is not going to be what they look like down the line. But we're also just not in their training camp. We don't know who's playing the best. Um, So I think that'll be where a lot of it comes down to. Um, So I don't know. We'll have to see. But what are your thoughts on Rutgers? As a rec- uh, for a record as a whole this year. I was waiting for someone to ask this question. I would love to say that I'm that I'd pick Rutgers to go six and six and make a bowl game, but there's there's a lot of turnover on this roster, and I mean, Rutgers arguably, I, I would honestly say unarguably lost their two best offensive pieces and a lot of what made their defense what it was last year. So it's a lot of turnover, obviously. You know, guys like uh, Jacob Allen is the first name that comes to mind, but obviously a lot of recruits that are coming in that are, you know, higher caliber than we were getting before Shiano was here. So it's a better base than we've probably had in, like, years before. But I think the roster turnover is such where Rutgers is, you know, probably going to be a 5-6 win team that is going to have to sweat it out against Maryland at the end of the season again. Uh, If you go through the schedule... I think Wagner and Temple are games that, you know, Rutgers should win. If they don't win those, that's, you know, where the alarm bells start to ring. Uh, Boston College could be a gimme. Uh, you know, Nebraska could be not a gimme. It could be a – it could go either way. Um, you know, they could beat Nebraska. They could beat Indiana. 
but obviously you don't see them beating teams like Iowa or Ohio State or Michigan. I mean, unless they play really well and they pull off the upset, but I think it's a team that's going to be, you know, five and or five and six or probably five and six going into Maryland, and I think that game's going to decide whether they uh, go to the postseason or not. So put me down for five or six wins. McCoy, I I agree with you. I see this team being in the same area as last year. Um, I've said that like throughout the off season, trying to you know decide where I think they should be. I mean, I I really do think the ceiling is exactly where we were, and I think they could be maybe in that four-win area going into Maryland. I I think it's the best-case scenario you see us being in at five wins going into Maryland, kind of like it was last year. And, Dennis, to your point, um, the non-conference schedule is a lot less friendly compared to what was last season where we had two home games um, sandwiched between – one uh, road game against Syracuse this year it's two road games as opposed to one home game in that same non-conference slate so I think that plays a big um, part in where we will be at the end of the season because you can you have to get up as many wins against non-conference teams as you can and you know playing at Boston College at the beginning of the season started off is not easy as you guys have said throughout this show and of course the Big Ten is a gauntlet you know you're gonna have to play Ohio State one time. We have to play Michigan one time. Michigan State and East Lansing. Penn State comes to town. I mean, these are not these are these are hard games. And then even throw it in like an at Minnesota. That's not going to be easy. You're going at Minnesota, and then Iowa's coming to town. Just go down the list. Like it's going to be difficult. And you know, I'm hoping the best for Ruck- for Rutgers right now. But you know, I think I think what we're seeing from the schedule is just going to be difficult to try to get back to a bowl game that you'd get. Um, you know, I wouldn't say by legitimate means, but by earning your way to a bowl game, not, you know, filling in for a team wrecked by COVID. Yeah, and you look at the schedule, and Rutgers kind of got the short end of the stick in terms of Big Ten West opponents this year. There's no Illinois. There's no Northwestern on this schedule. Um, You know, you're facing Nebraska, Iowa, and Minnesota, who, to be fair, I mean, you could Iowa and Minnesota every year seem to go – Eight and five, you know, uh, nine and four, or, or, or you know, they're like the sixth best team four. in the country. Somehow. Yeah, exactly. Like one of them will be <laughs> one of them will have like a top three defense and be top ten ranked. The other yep. one will be just as good, like seven and two, seven and three during the season. And you're not going to be able to face a team like Illinois, who is probably going to finish with three wins this year, maybe four. And you don't get that luxury this year. And if you remember last year when we had that luxury, Rutgers still. Rutgers didn't capitalize in that game against Northwestern. They blew it, and that was a game that everyone was like, okay, this is going to be a cakewalk. We're in perfect situation to make a bowl game, and they yeah, sold I remember, it. Yeah. I remember being at that game, and, I mean, the consensus was, like, we should win this game. Yeah. You know, they had a lot of penalties that game, too. I think they had maybe over 100 yards of penalty. It was the sloppiest game they played all season, and they really just did not put it together. And they can't have performances like that this year, you know. Uh they need to beat Nebraska. They probably need to beat Indiana too. You know, I and you don't even know what Indiana team is going to come out. They're not going to be as bad as they were last year. I, I'm convinced that Indiana will not be that bad. Well, we'll see. Be, the The thing with Indiana, it gets tricky because now they don't have um, who was their lefty quarterback that was very very good. What was Michael name? Penix? Yeah, I think he transferred out. I believe so. And I don't. I'm not sure if Fry Fogel's there anymore either. I I don't know if he transferred or if he went to the draft. But point being, I just don't. I mean, I don't follow them too closely, but I didn't see any moves that like alarmed me, saying, "Oh, they're going to be very, very good." 
I still think that they're at the bottom of the Big Ten this year. Uh, Indiana, I just I I don't think that they're ready. But like that Northwestern game, twenty-one to seven, and it was fourteen to seven at halftime. You're you're trailing, and it's just a game where you look at that. And Rutgers was three and three going into it. You could have went four and three, um, and then I believe all right. So you're four and three. You beat Illinois the next week. You're five and three, and then you beat Indiana, right? So that that was your sixth win. You would have had yeah. six wins before facing Penn State and Maryland to close out the that year. That would have made the that Maryland was... game not mean as much. And, I mean, you know, it, it, it Maryland isn't world beaters. Like, they're a good team. They have a lot of good talent. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa is, you know, a good quarterback. I think he's got a lot of room to develop into possibly an NFL-level quarterback. But, you know, it's it's not a team that Rutgers should be getting blown out by at, at this stage of, of the rebuild. You know, yeah. we are still in a rebuild, but – that was that was a rough performance to end the season. Well, what we thought was the end of the season. Then it was, they obviously got the bowl bid. It was so tough because I remember everybody was so hyped up for it. It was a big game. Every, both teams were 5-6 and six going into it. So the winner was going to a bowl game. It was home and Thanksgiving weekend too. So everyone was kind of like on break, which was not like that mini break. So everyone was just kind of tailgating, doing their thing. And then you go in there and you just get absolutely curb stomped from the jump. Uh, it was 20-2 to two at halftime. And at halftime, you knew it was over because you saw Talia just going ballistic out there, throwing like that tight end a bunch of times, and the defense just had no answer for it. Um, it, it was just a tough game to watch. And luckily because, well, I shouldn't say luckily, but Rutgers was able to get a, a bowl bid because of COVID and honestly had a promising first half of that game. They almost tied it, and they were only down 10 going into the half against the top 15 team. So wasn't that bad of a bowl game for Rutgers. But again, this year, the, the schedule, in my opinion, is just very difficult. You have the upside of starting out 3-0. and I think realistically, against against BC, you, that's a game that they might lose this year. I, I, and I say that because of the departures on defense. I think this defense is not going to be as good as last year. The linebacking core has been decimated due to injuries and departures. Fadakasi, Tyshawn Fogg, and Tyrese Maddox-Williams are no longer with the team. And Drew Singleton was amongst those names, but his NCAA eligibility is still pending. We'll see if he'll join the team this year. But let's assume for now that it doesn't, so he's not there. And Moses Walker, four-star recruit, one of the highly touted prospects for the Scarlet Knights this year, tore his ACL back in April, and he's out for the year. So there's that's it. That's five names right there that most likely will not play for the Scarlet Knights at the linebacker position. And I believe Mohamed Ture also had an injury. I'm not sure if he's going to play. or I think I don't think it was major, but he's he had an injury too. And so you look at that at the linebacking core, and you know that might be the area, that might be the position all Rutgers fans might say that has been good year in and year out. I would say linebacker play has always been pretty good above average for Rutgers with Fadakasi and all those guys staying all four years there. But now that they're not there, it's going to be a lot harder to defend some of these bigger games on the schedule. And you're right. I think the five and six last week is a possibility. But if they drop that game to BC, guys, there's a possibility they go into that last week with just four wins. And it's just because this Big Ten schedule is just that much harder with the Big Ten West not giving us Illinois or Northwestern. It's just going to be that much tougher this year for this team. But I do think Rutgers sneaks out an upset against Nebraska. And with the way Rutgers has played Michigan in the past two seasons, I don't see why not. I I don't see why I'm just going to write them off right now. The way they've played them the last two years, I get it, it's Michigan. But Michigan last year was a college football playoff semifinalist, and we lost by seven points at their stadium. 
The year before, we lose in double or triple overtime and had a chance to win that game, but Ambrosio missed a game-winning field goal. Two years where we lose in one-possession games to Michigan, and now it's back home this year, and if Wimsat is what everyone says he's going to be, why not give them a chance this year? It's very possible. And if they somehow do beat Michigan this year, then I think the bowl game is very attainable. Because if they can compete with a team like Michigan, why can't they compete I, with, say, I mean, if Michigan Iowa. is ranked high, it, it kind of like, not that it would replace the bowl game, but an upset over like a ranked team like Michigan could be like the bowl game of the season. <laughs> it could Buc be. wins five games, but. It very well could be. And listen, we I'm just it's a tough schedule this year. We'll see how it all pans out. Uh Jack, you have anything else to say before we head to break? Um I think you guys really summed it up well about um you know the team in general. I'll just add real quick what We all uh, one, two, three, go. Waking up in a dream. Sleepwalking on another big stage. Welcome and back never to the special edition of the WRSU crew here on 88.7 FM or WRSU.org. My name is Jack Pasea, Dylan Allen, Dylan McCoy, Dennis Geisler from Virginia. We're all talking here about Rutgers football. It's coming up to the season. It's very close. It's very exciting. But we're going to continue our discussion with a special guest here on the show. His name is Greg Batuto. He's the newly minted managing editor of OnTheBanks.com, filling in the shoes for Aaron Brightman. He's going to be coming on the show to talk about Rutgers football. Greg Petuto, welcome on. Greg, you got me? Yes, I'm here. Awesome, Greg. Thank you for coming on, and I appreciate it. And uh, we'll jump right into it. First off, I want to ask you a question about your new role at On the Banks SB Nation and how it's been uh, treating you over the first couple weeks of your new job. How have you how have you liked it? Oh, it's been great. You know, Aaron Brightman really built something special with On the Banks, um, and I was able to experience that firsthand. Um, I was a writer for under him for two years, and now being able to take over the reins now that he's moved on, um, you know, I'm really fortunate to be able to do that. And especially now at a time where Rutgers sports seems to be, seems to be going up from where it was in previous years, you know, it's something really special. Yeah, absolutely. Greg, you know, uh, we've been talking about media day. It's the first real news to, uh, come out of the Rutgers camp so far. And, you know, a lot of conversation about the quarterback room. So, you know, if you had to put your money on who starts game one, do you think it's Noah Vedrill? Do you think it's Gavin Wimsat? Or do you take the alternate route, think it's Evan Simon? I want to hear your thoughts on that. If I had to make a bet on it, I'm taking, I think, Noah Vedrill starts game one. Um, Greg Schiano did say that there's a legitimate three-quarterback competition, you know, heading into camp. So Evan Simon will have a chance to battle it out, even though he seems like, you know, the clear-cut number three, but he will have his chance. In terms of just experience, knowing the offense, uh, being comfortable under both Coach Ciano and Sean Gleason, I think Vedral has the clear upper hand in this battle. You know, people forget because of how highly touted a recruit that he was coming in that Gavin Wimsett is a true freshman this year. You know, he got the chance to get his seat wet last year when he was supposed to be a high school senior. So there's still plenty of time for his day to come, and it might even come later in the season if Rutgers gets off to a slow start, Belgerl's not playing well, um, you know, things start to go bad. Then we could see 
wins that sooner than later. But I think game one, they'll hand it over to Vedral and kind of, you know, keep his momentum going from the previous two years. I agree, Greg. And now let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. The the linebacker room has been, I would say, kind of the backbone of Rutgers football for a long time now. And this year, unlike any other year, there's a lot of injuries and a lot of departures at that position. Fadakasi, Tyshawn Fogg, Maddox Williams, all leaving the program, graduating and, and going to the NFL. And Moses Walker, four-star recruit, tearing his ACL earlier this year. How different do you think the, the defense is going to look this year, especially um, under new coaching by the new defensive coordinator, Joe Harris-Samiak? How do you think that's going to play out for Rutgers? Well, it's going to look extremely different right off the bat when you lose a player like Fatukasi, who's you know one of the best linebackers, not only in the Big Ten, but in the nation, You know, a leader on that defense. That immediately um, impacts the team. But the injuries haven't helped either, obviously. Uh, Muhammad Ture out for the season. You mentioned Moses Walker. There's going to be players that are going to have to step up. And the one that comes to mind immediately is Tyreen Powell. Um, Shiano's talked at length about the player that he is and the role that he's going to be able to step into. Um, New Jersey kid, and he's going to play a big role in replacing these linebackers. Also, I'm interested to see what Kyrie Banton does in his second year, you know, he didn't really get much of a chance, obviously last year as a freshman, again, another young kid, um, New Jersey prospect that was highly touted coming in this year should see a little more of him and what he'll be able to contribute. Um, but you're right. A, a strength of the team in previous years now goes to a bit of a weakness. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of the decisions that are made on that side of the ball. And Greg, staying at the linebacker position, there's an interesting uh, story going on with linebacker Drew Singleton um, as he's trying to be reinstated um, by the NCAA and as he hopes to return for the 2022 season. You put out an article earlier today about uh, Drew Singleton's situation. For people who may not know what's going on with Drew Singleton and uh, the situation that's going on with him, maybe enlighten people on what's going on and maybe give your opinion on if you think he's going to be on the team this year. Yeah, Drew Singleton's situation was a bit of a unique one as to where he declared for the draft, signed an agent, um, went undrafted, and I'll get into specific reasons. He might have been undrafted in a second, but went undrafted. Now he's trying to return to Rutgers um, for his final year. He has one year of eligibility left. Um, he put in a petition to the NCAA, which was declined at first. That was expected. And now he's appealing that and him and Rutgers, Greg Shiano, everybody's just waiting on that decision. Um, and Shiano really went into great detail on why he believes he should be able to play this season. Um, for those who don't know, he did declare after the season finale for the draft and Rutgers was a late addition to the Gator Bowl on New Year's Eve. He decided to come back playing that game on eight days rest and eight days preparation, which not many people do when they're trying to, you know, pursue a professional career. He suffered an injury in that game that hindered his progress, training and preparing for the NFL, ended up going undrafted. So this is a very unique situation. Um, right now, there's no sense on what's going to happen. Um, Greg Schiano is hopeful that he's able to return. That would be a huge addition to this linebacking group that's, you know, as weak as it's been in, in many years. Um, so there's no really initial sense on if he'll be able to return, but they're going through the appeal process and kind of waiting, you know, for the NCAA to make a decision. 
And shifting the conversation, Greg, over to our NFL Scarlet Knights now, uh, newly minted NFL Scarlet Knights and Bo Melton and, and Isaiah Pacheco. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to give your opinion on what you think um, their future, are, future are, is in the NFL, uh, both Bo Melton and Isaiah Pacheco reporting for training camp as the NFL is getting started. Um, I just wonder if you heard anything about how they're doing out there, maybe some people who might have been might not have been following the early parts of training camp um, how do you think that they'll do um, moving into this season? Because obviously they are uh, both well-known members of Rutgers over the past couple of years, and now they're starting the next chapters in the NFL. Well, the main thing we learned in the Combine, which all Rutgers fans know and anybody who watched Rutgers football, is that both are extremely fast. And that's the reason that NFL teams are taking a chance on them. I mean, it's clear to see that Isaiah Pacheco is in the better situation as far as franchise right now in the NFL with Bo Melton being in Seattle, having just traded Russell Wilson, you know, so being a pass catcher in Seattle right now might not be the best place to be, but as everybody knows who has watched the Scarlet Knights, you put him in a game, he's a playmaker, he's fast, a bit undersized, but as a slot receiver um, on a team that's looking to rebuild, if Bo Melton's given a chance, you know, he can, he can catch the ball and go. Um, there's no inkling on what's going to happen with either player. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, you know, he's behind a few guys in Kansas City. They kind of have their guys locked in right now as they continue to fight for AFC titles, Super Bowls, you know, all of that good stuff. But as far as ceilings, it's going to be soon that not only Rutgers fans know who these two players are if they're given a chance. Last question for here uh, for you here, Greg. Um, going to give you a question on the schedule we've been talking about it over the past uh 45 minutes or so since we started the uh started this show uh talking about the schedule and the benefits and pitfalls um give me your opinion on the schedule um our non-conference start and then our big tens uh big ten slate and then what do you think our record will be as we sit here today on july 27th i did a record prediction when it first came out and I believe I had them five and seven. And this is a very interesting year because it seems like the program under Shiano is kind of in the stage of playing for six wins, playing for a bowl game, you know, rather than, you know, years ago, just trying to win a big 10 game. They're kind of back in that sense of they feel like they could win six games and make a bowl, but there's a lot of back and forth games this year, a lot of swing games. And it begins in the opener with Boston college. That's a game that fans are, they believe they can win. Some don't believe they can win. Some think they're going to go up there and get killed. Um, and honestly, when I put together my prediction of the schedule, that was the major swing game, kind of getting them from six and six to down to five and seven. Um, I did have them losing the opener, but after that, the non-conference schedule should be wins. And you know they're not going to beat you know the Ohio States, the Michigan States, the Michigan the teams like that. But when you look at an Iowa this year, that's an upset spot with that game being played in Piscataway. Or you look at Indiana, another home game, that should be a win with the state of Indiana's uh, program right now. And then obviously the season finale at Maryland where Rutgers won two years ago. These are all swing games that could go back and forth that Rutgers has a chance to win. But as we know, they're not at the point yet where they can just roll their helmets out on the field and go win a game. You know, everything's going to be a battle for them. But this is an interesting schedule, and it sounds like a bit of a cop-out with not knowing anything yet about this team. 
But, I mean, week one at Boston College right now looks like the most important game on the schedule, in my opinion. Greg, I doubt this is going to be the last time you're on the crew with us. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and giving your insight onto, uh, you know, the football season in general. It should be really fun to follow this team. And, uh, yeah, do you have anything anything that you'd like to plug before uh, we send you off? Nope, nothing to plug. Anytime you guys want to just talk some sports, you know I'm around. Awesome, Greg. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon, all right? And we're back here on the Wednesday edition of The Crew, our Big Ten Media Day special live from WRSU Studios. Dylan McCoy joined by Dylan Allen, Jack Basaya, Dennis Geisler joining us. And guys, you know, there, there's one Rutgers player that we haven't talked about that I think has been the prime focus of Rutgers media for the last couple of years, and that's Adam Korsak. And, you know, he was one of the players invited to media day, and he got a glowing review from Shiano who described him as, and this is a, this is a direct quote, the best punter I've ever been around in twenty five in 35 years. Yeah, I, he, and he, then he another, did say that today. And then another direct quote, quote he's from Australia. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, no that kidding. That is undeniably true. <laughs> I know Dennis loves him some Adam Corsack. Oh, obviously, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like Adam Corsack? Let's be honest. I mean, like two or three years ago, like realistically, when this program was, you know, kind of in, in a shambles. Space, yeah, he was the best player. Yeah, like, he was. He was. He was the best player on this team. I think. You know? I think. What? I think sports. Yeah, when I was a getting... freshman here, cutting up highlights, we we got it. We got a good number of Adam Corsack highlights in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think sports director Gideon Fox has an Adam Corsack jersey. He does have an Adam Corsack jersey. That's well, crazy. not with the name on the back. I think that should be but... mandatory for the entire sports department. <laughs> just like, just like we're getting Ron Harper Jr. jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> we are. As soon as we figure out which number he's picking, we're, we're yeah, we're doing a big group order. I agree. That's got to happen. But if you want, we'll play the Adam Corsack clip. We'll see what. Ha- I mean, you kind of hinted at what he said in in some regards. This is an Adam Corsack story that he told today on Big Ten Network, and it was about the bowl game from last year, his story on how he got there, because don't forget, people, that the season was over, and then all of a sudden, eight days before the game was supposed to play, Rutgers was selected to be in the game. So most people were home and not doing anything football-related. Here's the clip, Adam Corsack on his bowl game trip from last year. Uh, you did have maybe the most interesting bowl travel story in the world last year, and we were talking about with Coach Chiano that you guys found out obviously late in the game that you were able to participate in a bowl game when Texas A&M had to bow out, and because of your APR score, the team was able to, to fill that spot. You are Australian, as people may have heard from your accent. You're already back home, so take people through your travel to get from Australia back to that game. Yeah, it was hectic, so I get... I get to LAX, and it's a layover. And I see on, on Twitter the rumors about potentially replacing A&M. And I, I sort of, my bags are already through. They're already in transition. They're probably on the plane. And I'm like, you know what? Like, it's, it might not happen. So I just turn off the phone, get on the plane. 16 hours later, I arrive in Sydney. Turn on the phone, and the phone just starts blowing up with, you know, messages of, did you leave yet? Are you going to come back? Did you see the news? And it was overwhelming. It was hectic. And I go, all right, well, I don't live in Sydney. I've still got one more flight to get to Melbourne. My bags are somewhere. 
coaches calling me and I'm, this is going to be a tough one finally get to Melbourne all right how long do we have we had like seven days I believe or eight days I'm like all right, I have to get through quarantine I have to test negative twice book the flights and hopefully meet the team in Jacksonville anyway with the great team at Rockers the great organization we're able to get it all done seamlessly and I was there four days later and very excited to play and I wasn't even jet lagged like it's a long flight it's a long trip home and yeah I felt great so that was Adam Corsack on Big Ten Network when he was asked about his bowl trip. And could you imagine that? He's in LAX, so he's already been on a six-hour flight from New Jersey to Los Angeles on a connecting flight to Melbourne, Australia, which I don't know how many more hours that is from Los Angeles, but that's a lot. A lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and so he's <laughs> he, he pretty much just said, like, well, you know, I was there, and I was checking my phone. Twitter was blowing up saying we could possibly be chosen in this game. But he was like, I put the phone away, got in the flight, went home. By the time we landed, I go on the phone, it's blowing up, and, you know, it's like Rutgers is in the game. So now you got to do a quick turnaround and do the same exact flight back to New Jersey or back to Florida, not New Jersey, but I'm sure he had to connect another flight from LAX down to Jacksonville. I mean, that's just a crazy amount of traveling. And he said he got there four days later. It, it, ain't, noth- it ain't nothing for some WRSU <laughs> people. That's all. Then that's crazy. I've never done something that much in my life in terms of a flight time between just one trip. He said he left four days later. So, because I, I, I can't imagine you get flights from Australia to LAX to Jacksonville all too often. So, I mean, he probably took forever to find him a flight. But, listen, he got there, he did his duty, and he played. And surprisingly enough, he said he didn't have any jet lag, and he played well. I, I think on that point, you're just running on adrenaline. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had some of the some moments now. Granted, I've never gone off a plane and had to go play a football game. But, like, sometimes when you're on, like, some sort of, like, chaotic um, bend like he was, like, you, you're just, like, you're running off adrenaline at that point. He probably crashed after the game, but... <laughs> Yeah, he probably did, and, you know, I just... So so he had to then do that trip three times then, no? Because he went... He had well, to he leave Jersey, Jersey back to LAX, home. and then LAX to Jacksonville, right? No, no, so it was New Jersey, LAX okay. to Melbourne. Melbourne, I assume, back to LAX to then Jacksonville. Oh, so then he had to do Jacksonville, LAX, back to Melbourne. So he had to do that three times. He's going across the world twice, basically. Three times in that one trip. Something, three. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to even like, yeah, because <laughs> he had to. Because he, he, he went home, came back, and went home again. Yeah, and now he's in Indy. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like it's not like um, it's very close in time as well. Like I think Australia is like seventeen hours ahead of us. Probably it's probably something like that. He's probably got a great story for like how like he went like back in time and then forward in time and like basically, yeah, it, <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's currently nine o'clock in the morning there. That's crazy to think. That's a, that's the whole another topic in itself. But like the fact that we're sitting here and it's like early evening or just like the evening here, and it's Friday morning or Thursday morning on the other side of the world. <laughs> we're not, let's not have, let's not do a time zone uh, discussion here. But um, yeah, it's Bit, crazy story. Crazy story. It's crazy. It's literally. Um, let me do the math here. Nine and five. It's four. They're fourteen hours ahead of us. So he played a football game. Like, could you imagine that? First of all, the game started at eleven a.m. True. The, true. the bowl game. So he's playing a football game on his time. Let's do the so twelve is eleven p.m. So he's playing a game on his time at one in the morning. He's playing a football game with the sun out. It's one in the morning at his time, and he's punting the ball. <laughs> I mean, and he no jet lag. 
playing a game at one in the morning on his time. That's hey, crazy. Hey, respect. There, I know, I know a certain Rutgers team that was playing games at one in the morning this year. So, <laughs> yeah, McCoy, you want to uh, you want to <laughs> speak on that? I was at that stadium for 14 hours that day. <laughs> <laughs> so I was prepared for a nice like 10 p.m., but no, it was 12. And then uh, you guys also forget there was a lightning delay at three in the morning. So because uh, <laughs> of course, because of course. Yeah, yeah. Was it one? You needed one more out. It was like one. They were one strike away from ending the game. I'm pretty if sure. If anyone doesn't know, we're talking about uh, Rutgers baseball in the Big Ten tournament. They had the nightcap, and it was for sure the nightcap. The sun was about to rise by the time the game was over. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were an hour uh, behind, too, because we were in Central Standard Time. People people on the East Coast, if you listen to us, I, I, we shouted out one person. I think his name was Don or something. <laughs> I remember shouting him out at, like, 3.30 in the morning. Should have done a nightline after that. that oh, awesome. man, Palumbo, I felt bad. He was in the studio <laughs> all by himself. Yeah, I felt worse for him, honestly. At least we got to be there. Yeah, you were there. You were calling the game. Like, there were lights on. People were swinging bats. I, I, I couldn't sit in this studio by myself at 3.30 in the morning and just not have the temptation My of falling asleep. My lights were on, but no, no one was home at 3 in the morning. I was I was calling that game on autopilot, to be quite honest. <laughs> just cruising along. Yeah, trying to get through it. <laughs> All right, well, let's sh- we talked about Adam Corsak. Let's shift gears back to the Rutgers football schedule. There's a couple of games in mind that I think Greg mentioned as possible upsets, kind of the Iowa game. Uh, Indiana, I don't think people view as an upset, but like games that you could see Rutgers possibly winning, having a chance in any. What about what about a place where they actually did beat a team like in recent memory, Michigan State at Michigan State? Yeah, listen, well that's see that that's difficult because I remember producing that game, and ten minutes before the game, Michigan State hadn't announced the starting quarterback yet. They were still picking between three guys, and we're like. <laughs> Who are they going to go with, and how is this going to end up well? They don't know which quarterback is going to start, and we're 10 minutes from kickoff. I forget who they ended up going with. It isn't Peyton Thorne, their quarterback now. I think it was um, – I, I couldn't tell you his name, but he was not very good, and Rutgers won that game, and it was it was honestly a big win. But, again, no fans in that stadium, and this Michigan State team is way better than they were two years ago. I mean, you, just, you saw how they played us last year. We were never in it. Um and they have Peyton Thorne back throwing the ball. No Kenneth Walker, but I'm sure as long as that offensive line is good enough, that wherever they have their... I think Jalen Berger is their running back. If you if you follow New Jersey football recruiting, Jalen Berger was a four-star running back, I believe, from Don Bosco. I could be wrong on the high school. Don Bosco, yeah. yeah. Four-star four star recruit, and he chose Wisconsin over Rutgers and amongst other schools. Sounds very Jonathan Taylor like. Yes, I was, was. gonna. Ah, <laughs> you stole the. You stole it. <laughs> you beat me to it. You beat but me yes. to it. But that's pretty much what happened. And then I think he got into. Uh, he got kicked off the team somehow at Wisconsin. I don't know what was behind the scenes there. Uh, he he got and it wasn't physical, but I believe he got into an altercation with uh, Paul Christ. Is Paul Christ, yeah. Name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think he just wasn't following their rules or whatever they wanted to see him, and they didn't see enough from him. So yeah, right. they they kicked him off, which was shocking. Because yeah. I remember he's he's been one of the most hyped recruits, especially like offensive recruits coming out of Jersey in the past couple of years. So mm-hmm. it was you know surprising to not see him play there. And now he's at Michigan State, which is kind of funny and ironic how that works out. I would I wish that the that they would have played at Piscataway this year, because. Having Jalen Berger play back here, I know there's a lot of fans. We had my our uncle included. Last year. My uncle included, who would probably give a couple of boos to a guy like that, just not going to Rutgers. And I can understand why you'd want to go to Wisconsin. It's a great running back school, but still, it'd be kind of funny to see him play here, like because he is. I, was he a was he a five star or a four star McCoy? 
So I am four on twenty four seven sports. He was a four star. He was the number one hundred and thirty six player from? in his Jersey. class. He's from Jersey. Um, he's from Ramsey. He went to Don Bosco. He was the number fifteen running back in his class, and he was the number three player in New Jersey in his class. Yeah. So I mean, just that's who is replacing Kenneth Walker, and I don't know if they have any other guys there on their depth chart that are better, but. So they have a good running back to take over for Walker. So that's a game that I view where Rutgers doesn't have much of a chance. Michigan State's a very good program. Uh, I think it's going to be much different than having Jalen Naylor and Kenneth Walker the third in that offense. You have to remember, Kenneth Walker the third for like the first five weeks of Jaylen the season Naylor. was the Heisman winner. Right. Jalen he- Naylor looked like Tyreek Hill in the <laughs> game that we, that we yes, played. He By did. the way, you're listening to WRSU FM at 88.7. Uh, FM New Brunswick. That's yeah. WRSU FM New Brunswick. W- yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a legal idea. You just, you just need to put that in there. Don't worry. I had to get it right that way. You know, we don't get a violation. That's all. Exactly. I don't want to get a text from Pat later. No, no. Jalen <laughs> Naylor looked like Tyree Kill out there. That's he did. He was burning our defense, and you you knew it was bad when you were watching the game. And every time you look at the TV, Avery Young, whichever defensive back you want to pick on, the the back of their jersey was facing you. He and had they were just the uh, catch up the whole time. He broke Larry Fitzgerald's shy stadium or SHI stadium record. Uh, for receiving yards, I believe in the first half. Larry Fitzgerald had a record at SHI. Yeah, that game, uh, when he was at when he played was when wild. he played at Pitt. Yeah, that game was wild. The Rutgers Michigan State game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Walker also broke one from like the six their yeah. own six yards. Yeah, line. we and he took it to the house. That was like, I don't know if that was their worst performance or if it was Northwestern because Michigan State was the number eleven team in the country at the time, and like I think everyone knew that they were really good. I, that Northwestern yeah, game. Michigan State especially because I think that game just kind of felt bad. Like the team didn't even play all that poorly except for like three super busted plays on defense, and yeah. like the issue the entire season they had where they just couldn't really score on offense. But apart from like a couple of small things, like it really felt like it was a winnable game, except for a couple tiny things. Well, the other thing, too, is don't forget, it was 21-13 to 13 at halftime. Michigan State, we were only down uh, 27, eight points. It was an eight-point game at halftime. And then after that, Rutgers just could not score, and Michigan State was able to score 10 points. So, I, listen, I know it wasn't that great of a game at the end of the day, 31-13, but at, at halftime, it was a one-possession game. And again, it's one of those games where Vedral just doesn't lose you the game. You look at his stat line, 16-31, the completion percentage is not great. 208 yards, no touchdowns, but no picks. He's kind of just out there running the offense. And for the first half, you know, when you're only down eight points, it's fine. But then in that second half, when you continue to play that way and Michigan State just pulls away, that's where I think a guy like Wimsack comes in and he can just bring this team to a whole new level offensively, bring out the second half and just kind of take control of the team, throw you a couple quick touchdowns. Because that's the other problem with this Rutgers offense. It was always slow. It was um, very put like the way it was put together. Long drives, three yards every play. There weren't many big plays, and when there were, they were electric, but they were very, very scarce. And yeah, you and can't take that long. And with Wimsat, you 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 have to think they're gonna drop some bigger plays. And you gotta remember, like it's it it's Sean Gleason too. He's a guy who came from Oklahoma State, obviously. You know, he's used to the Big 12 air raid style of offense. Right. So you've got this guy trying to run these Big 12 offenses in the Big 10. And, I mean, you know, it, it, it's admirable that he's trying to, like, open up the playbook a little bit. But, you know, there, there's a tried-and-true formula in the Big 10, which is, you know, cloud of dust, four-yard run, run down the field, eight-minute drive, score a touchdown, don't let your opponent do it, win the game 10-7. to 
You know, that's 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 the Iowas, that's the Wisconsin's, that's the Minnesotas of the world, and you know that's what they do to relevant in the Big Ten. And you know, I think Rutgers, you know, it's it's going to be difficult for them on offense. You know, we said it before; they've lost their two biggest pieces. Uh, they've got good guys coming in to replace them. Though Kyle Manung guy, uh, probably the most notable one, had a breakout freshman season last year, so he'll probably be the uh, the bell cow in the backfield if they decide to go with one main guy. Uh, Jameer Wright-Collins could also get carries. You know, a, a lot of young guys in the running back room. I think the receiving core, uh, you know, where whereas the linebackers are the biggest question on defense, the receiving core might be the biggest question on offense. I mean, you know, who 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 do you really have returning? Uh, Maybe not Aaron Crookshank. Crookshank's back. They have Taj Harris out okay. of the transfer portal from uh, Syracuse. I believe they also have Joshua Youngblood. He yeah, didn't really get a lot. Of, he didn't really have a lot of catches last year. He was more of a uh, return specialist, but could step into a bigger role this year. Shmeen Jones, I believe, has another year of eligibility, and he'll come back. So that's a really experienced name. But I think, you know, Bo Melton did a lot for this team. He made up uh, a lot of holes that the receivers had because he was just so talented. He was a guy who could really, you know, go one on one with pretty much any corner in the conference and. You know, that was a lot of their big playability. And, you know, Rutgers really going to need someone to step up and, you know, break off a run once in a while if they want to win some of these upset games. And the other the other guy, too, Brandon Sanders, he had the, he medically retired, I think, last week or two weeks ago. And, you know, say what you want about his productivity with, for this team. It's just another guy that has experience under his belt that you will not have at your disposal. So you're going to really bank on Taj Harris uh, and Crookshank showing up for this team. And the other thing too is you got to build the relationships with if you're Wimsat, you have to get the chemistry down, and I think that's what it all comes down to. Because again, Bo Melton not being in this offense, we're gonna see how Sean Gleason really draws this up this year. Because I don't know if we'll see as many wide receiver screens in the flat, have guys out in front and block. We might have a lot more jet sweeps with Crookshank back in the lineup. We'll see, but. I don't know. I, I, I got to see how this offense is going to look against Boston College in those first three games where you can kind of tell what their plan is and how the personnel looks. And looking at their schedule again, at Minnesota, we talked about the West, Big Ten West teams this year for the Rutgers schedule kind of being on the short end of the stick for Rutgers, not getting the, the Illinois of the world or the Northwesterns. Instead, they get Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa. And the Minnesota game if it were home I would say Rutgers would maybe have a chance to win that but you're, they, you got to go out to Minneapolis Minnesota tough game to win and PJ Fleck to the media earlier today on or I think it was actually yesterday on the first day of media day uh, on Big Ten Network he was talking to the press about Muhammad Ibrahim returning for that program very touted running back just to take you through some of the stats on him in the past couple of years, uh, let's see. He was hurt last year, 30 attempts, 163 yards, two touchdowns. But the year before that in 2020, over 200 carries, 1,076 yards, and 15 touchdowns. This is a guy who knows how to carry the ball and could have went to the NFL after that season, decided to come back in 2021, had an injury, and now he is a, a fifth-year senior coming back for his last year. Here's P.J. Fleck on the return of his highly touted running back, Muhammad Ibrahim. Hi, PJ. Scott Docterman with The Athletic. wanted to ask you about the return of Mo Ibrahim and what does he mean for your team on the field and the way he competes, but then also uh, what kind of leadership and other kinds of uh, qualities he brings to your team as well. 
Yeah, Muhammad's part of that Encore 4 that they're kind of calling themselves. And with, I'm not sure if that's NIL or not or some copyright infringement that I just threw out there for him. But you got Mo, you got Tanner, uh, you got John Michael Schmitz, and you got Crab. Uh, and you talk about Mohamed Ibrahim. I mean, he, here's a guy who could have went to the National Football League after tearing his Achilles. I think we all saw it. I mean, he had close to 170 yards in the first half uh, against Ohio State. Uh, and he was primed for a huge season. Uh, decided to come back not only for himself, but for his teammates. And I think that kind of spread throughout our entire team. John Michael Schmitz coming back, Tanner Morgan coming back, Crab coming back, Chris Hoffman Bell. Uh, they made choices based on really what Mo was going to do. Uh, Mo could have went to the National Football League because, as he would say, 5'8 is 5'8. I mean, he's not going to get any taller. Uh, but he did it for the team. And he did it to kind of put a different ending to what happened. Uh, I think he's one of the best backs in the country. But more importantly, he's one of the best people you will ever meet in your entire life. And his leadership has become really infectious based on real-world experiences. Here's a guy who had a lot of NIL, right? And you run for 170 yards in the first half. You got all this stuff, and then boom, it all ends. And he can share a lot of those experiences uh, with our team and those life experiences. So it means the world to us that he's coming back. He's at full strength. Uh, he's ready to roll. Uh, and we're excited about having him uh, have a really, really uh, positive 2022. And so you got to think, with his return, and when Rutgers faces Minnesota, uh, they're going to take advantage of the run game, especially with the holes in that linebacking core for Rutgers. As we mentioned throughout the show, all the injuries, all the guys graduating and leaving this program, um, they're really and, and the questions around Drew Singleton's eligibility. There's a lot of questions with that core, and Mohamed Ibrahim. I already took you through some of the stats. He's a very, very good running back. You got to think Minnesota. He's going to take advantage of that run game, and it could be a very long day for the Scarlet Knights on that October 29th afternoon. Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten West is kind of just like, it's usually a competition of like four or five teams, and it's like, okay, one of these teams is going to go 10-2, and two, and the rest of them are going to go 6-6. Six and six. You don't know which one it's going to be. You're going to find out throughout the season. I think Minnesota could be that team. Obviously, they're older. They have a lot of experience. Ibrahim coming back is one of those examples. Uh, Iowa could be that team. They always seem to figure it out. But, you know, a lot of, you know, the Big Ten is always a stacked conference. It's always going to have some of the best teams in the country. I mean, you have Ohio State who... Uh, the, the the preseason honors, the Big Ten just announced their preseason honors. C.J. Stroud was the only unanimous selection. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was on there, too, who I think is going to be the best receiver in the country this year. I think Stroud is – right now, I would say C.J. Stroud is my favorite to win the Heisman. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you. Um, real quick, just regarding the Minnesota team, um, on top of Ibrahim being back, Tanner Morgan's back, their quarterback, this is going to be his sixth year at Minnesota. I mean, that's just – crazy ridiculous six years playing for them he's 27 and 12 as a starter so he's a winner for this team um that's the most wins by a Minnesota quarterback ever so listen they got the running back they have they have the coach and they have the quarterback all figured out for this team you got to think it's gonna be a tough game now let's shift gears to Ohio State obviously that's a team that everyone looks at and goes well they're gonna win the Big Ten and probably win the Big Ten championship go to the college football playoff, and then the question is, when they run into teams like Georgia, Alabama, how do they kind of hold their own? And C.J. Stroud, I, I agree with you. I think he is the Heisman favorite this year, um, certainly out of the Big Ten, but I think as a, as a whole, through the whole NCAA football, I think he is definitely a top three winner for me. 
I could see Bryce Young going again. There's always a chance with Bryce Young. He's just a phenomenal player. Um, but maybe Gavin Wimsat will give a run for his money. We'll see as a Rutgers hopeful. But I, I, I think I, I do think CJ I think this is Adam Corsak's year. Yeah, yeah maybe I it agree. is. I still can't believe he didn't win the uh, Ray Guy Award. But, you know, people like punts that go 60 yards, I guess. <laughs> Even if they end up in the back of the end zone. But I, yeah, I, don't I, know. I digress. Yeah, I don't know. People love it when uh, Mountain West returners are unable to make anything of having 20 yards of space to work with. Oh, people, People, of course, will respect the uh, prime sporting history of San Diego State, you know, uh, who who graduated. Hey, in the NFL, he's going to get, like, week three or four. He's going to end up uh, allowing, like, two punt return touchdowns, and he's either going to be out of the league entirely or he's just going to have to make himself punt shorter because NFL returners can return way better than Mountain West returners. <laughs> Yeah, the guy playing for the uh, Broncos will do much better than the Wyoming, uh, the, the three-star from Wyoming. But, no, I, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting uh, storylines in the Big Ten. You know, you did say that about Ohio State, but I think Michigan last year really showed that they're, you know, th- they're for real, at least in terms of the Big Ten. They, you know, they beat Ohio State, which is the first time they've done that in a decade. Uh, it was nice to see that rivalry kind of become a rivalry again. And, you know, if they're returning a lot of people, like I believe Hassan Haskins will be returning, Blake Corum will also return. You know, they have a lot of experience. Their offensive line is one of the best in the country. Their old line coach has been renowned. And, you know, that Michigan team is going to be hard to push around. Uh, I mean, even for Ohio State. So, you know, it, it, it kind of, has, I feel like, is going to the point where it has been in the past, where it's, you know, they're the two best teams and they're duking it out for the title at the end of the year. It's not just, oh, Ohio State's going to walk into Columbus or the big house and win by 30. Right. It could go back to that this year, and I don't think a lot of people would be surprised. But this Michigan team, especially you know after last year, they just feel different. And I'm not one who's very optimistic about Michigan most of the time. <laughs> I like to be as pessimistic as I can be about that school. But they're very good. And they very possibly could be in the college football playoff again this year if they play the same way. And and here's the thing with Michigan. It's the de- departure of Aiden Hutchinson. Big loss for them. And, you know, he goes to the Lions in the draft. Big defensive end for them. But on the flip side, they have J.J. McCarthy, who's one of the most touted prospects at the quarterback position uh, in the, 20, the class of 2021. He's a full five-star, a 98 grade on 24-7 sports out of IMG Academy. He committed to Michigan back in 2019, and he enrolled last year. Now, Cade McNamara was their quarterback last season who played very well for them, obviously got them to the college football playoff. But this J.J. McCarthy, if he play, if he plays as he should, he should be better than Cade McNamara by, I would probably say, a mile. He was the sixth best um he was the fifth best quarterback in the class of 2021, 25th ranked nationally. So he's a very good quarterback. And if he plays for Michigan this year, you got to think by the time they play Rutgers, he's going to have his feet wet and it's going to be a tough time for Rutgers because if you remember a couple of years back, Dylan and Jack and Dennis, when Rutgers went to either double or triple overtime and Ambrosio missed the kick to win the game. If you remember in that in that game, the first half of that game, Rutgers, I, I pretty much, I believe they were commanding the game in the sense that um, 
the the quarterback play from Michigan was subpar. Joe Milton, if you remember, if that rings any bells, Joe Milton is now on Tennessee, and he was the quarterback of Michigan back in 2020. Cade McNamara also came in that game. Yeah, exactly. Cade McNamara did not play very well, and he also did not play very well in 2021. Who? Cade Rutgers. No, he had an awful time, I believe. I think. Well, McNamara he... played very well in 2020. Last year. Probably not because they only scored 20 no, points. But I, the, the point I was going to make was in 2020, Rutgers had Michigan on the ropes, and it was because of subpar quarterback play. And if you remember way down the road when Rutgers upset Michigan in that blackout game that I just love looking up on the internet and clicking on images because it was a packed house with just it's black gonna shirts. It's going to be another one this year. It's going to be another one this year. I don't know if it'll be as packed. But that game that Rutgers did beat Michigan, if you remember... There was more, even more subpar quarterback play. I unfortunately I don't remember the guy's the quarterback's name, but he was a running quarterback with a subpar arm, and Rutgers defensively was able to take advantage of that. Very similar to Joe Milton. In that game, he went five for 12, 89 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and Rutgers was hanging in there. They were they were losing twenty. Um, actually, no, this it was in triple overtime this game, but they were they I think they were winning at halftime, and. As soon as Rucker, as soon as the second half started, Michigan made a quarterback change. Cade McNamara came in, threw 27 of 36, 260 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and got Michigan the win from behind. Now, what's my point? My point is, when Michigan has a quarterback that can throw the ball very well, they have trouble. And it's every year, whenever Rutgers goes up against a very good throwing quarterback. I think it's games where... The quarterback on the opposing team, if they're mainly a running quarterback, Rutgers stands a very good chance to win that game because defensively, Rutgers has always been a good running team. But when it comes to the pass game, Rutgers always seems to just kind of give up big plays and just give up a lot of touchdowns. You saw it last year against Ohio State, Michigan State. And I understand those are big teams, but those are teams with fast receivers and good throwers of the football, and they just take advantage of of your weakness as a team. Yeah, if you really want to see Rutgers' passing weakness, you can look up the stats for when they played Wisconsin last year. Yeah. They had Graham Mertz throw for 300 yards. Yeah, and he was horrible. Not good. Horrible for them. And when he came to town, played very well, and just blew Rutgers out of the war. Graham Mertz in that game went... So the score was 52-3, to if you don't remember. Uh, I remember that game was <laughs> miserable. Graham Mertz went 11 for 16 with 240 yards, three touchdowns, one interception... Um, they ran for 319 yards as a team with three touchdowns. <laughs> and Rutgers ran for 95 yards as a team, including five attempts by Noah Vedrill for negative 11 yards. Wow. Uh, and Vedrill went 8 for 16 with 81 yards and two picks. So probably their – not probably. That was their worst performance of the year by far. No, Wisconsin's a good team. They were 6-3 and three at this point and probably, you know, hitting their stride after early losses to teams like Notre Dame. But <laughs> had to know. give yourself a little plug there. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know they can just not have those games, and I mean it's not even just that game. You know they lose that game, and then you know it just leads to more. I mean, luckily last year they were able to bounce back and you know get an Indiana matchup with an Indiana team that clearly was done and didn't have a quarterback that could throw the ball. No. There was a freshman quarterback that they put in that game. Because they didn't of have injuries. anything that game. They, they didn't turned have the ball over like six times that they game. They didn't have anything. It was tragic. Yeah, the quarterback for Indiana, I remember they put in a freshman, and it was like his first time playing. So what do you expect him to do? He's not going to play well. So the moral of the, the point I'm trying to make is with Michigan this year, J.J. McCarthy, who should be a better 
thrower of the football than Cade McNamara. It might be a tough tough time for Rutgers. And you got to think, too, with the the injuries to the linebacking core. We keep bringing it up, but we have failed to mention that that could really hurt this team when it comes to blitzing on defense. When you don't have the personnel to blitz linebackers up the middle and you don't have faith enough faith in your secondary to hold receivers and keep them locked up for the amount of time, this defense might be playing at a more conservative rate than, we, than we've seen in most years. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because if you say to yourself, well, we need to blitz the quarterback, we need to create pressure, get sacks because our secondary is not good enough. Okay. But then if you say, well, we need to our, our linebacking core and our line is not good enough to rush the quarterback, we can't leave our defenders, our D-backs on an island back there we'll be giving up 80 yards that's another thing so it's it's kind of it's kind of like the gray area I don't know what Rutgers will do this year defensively I don't know if they'll be more blitz heavy or if they'll be more conservative all I know is that at some point the 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 defensive backs are going to give up big plays like it is almost every year and if your Rutgers just try to stop the run as best you can and I feel like they've done that in years prior it's just it's it's going to be tough this year with all the injuries and, again, with J.J. McCarthy for Michigan kind of stepping into that role for them makes it even more hard for Rutgers this year. Just the, the, the quarterbacks in the Big Ten on this schedule in particular are loaded. you got to face C.J. Stroud, um, Tanner Morgan, J.J. McCarthy most likely, Peyton Thorne, and I think Sean Clifford for Penn State, he's still there, and Talia Tsongavalolo, right? That's what Gavin Wimsat needs to be for this team. He needs to step up. When given the time to play, he needs to be up with those names. Now, maybe not C.J. Stroud, but he needs to be up there with at least Talia Tungavailoa. He needs to be up and throwing 300 yards, three touchdowns. You know, he can't be throwing like Vedral numbers. That's That can't happen. And so, you know, it, be, it becomes kind of a difficult situation for Rutgers defensively. And I know I just brought up the offense. But, nonetheless, it's going to be tough this year, guys. What are your thoughts Maybe on the defense as a whole. I kind of mentioned the blitz. It's kind of, I don't know. Like, do you think that they might be more blitz-oriented, or do you think they'll play more conservatively? It's tough to say. I mean, under this new defensive coordinator, I think, you know, anything's up for interpretation, basically. Um, like Greg said, they're losing a lot of guys on defense, especially uh, Olhune Fadakasi, one of probably their best linebacker last year. I think that's pretty uh, – Pretty pretty certain. Um, look, you notice Shiano's a defensive guy. They're bringing in a new de- defensive coordinator, like I said. I think with both those facts combined, you might see some more mixing up because obviously something didn't work on the off on the defensive end last year. We brought it up with uh, the Michigan State game with as one example with uh, Jalen Naylor looking like Tyree Kill out there, um, and of course the Maryland game where we were down twenty to two at halftime in the biggest game of the season at home. So I think with, I mean, obviously you can't define an entire season off like two, one game and then one bad half. But at the same time, you know, those are some of the biggest moments of the season and we weren't able to get it done. So I think change needs to be had on defense. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw any new changes. Um, DA, you brought up a uh, clip about Avery Young talking about this new defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, Sorry, it's Joe Horazmiak, right? 
Joe Harasimiak. Harasimiak. Yeah, Joe it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. Joe Harasimiak, the new defensive coordinator, Avery Young, had some comments on him at the Big Ten Media Day. And without further ado, we'll give a listen to what Avery Young had to say. One of the ways that you guys are looking to make progress this year uh, is on the defensive side where you play. New defensive coordinator, Joe Harasimiak. Give us a sense for, for Coach, what he brings, and, and how you think this defense can take a step forward this year. I think Coach H brings a youthful spirit. You go Coach H. Huh? Yeah, you don't Coach, say Harasimiak? That's just too much? It's a tough name. I say it. <laughs> yeah, Coach H, he brings a, definitely a youthful energy, and he's able to kind of relate to younger guys, you know, we basically have two classes now, it's older and younger. And when we say older, it's like me, fifth years and fifth year, sixth year, and people like that. So it's kind of like a, a disconnect in a sense. But at the same time, we're still connected in a brotherhood. But Coach H is able to really put us all together and really make it feel like it doesn't matter old or young, we're going to play with this energy and this new like kind of play style to our defense. Yeah, so again, he kind of speaks Coach to what H. we were talking about. Coach H, that's what, they, that's what like, they're calling him. I like it. I like it too from... A media side of things, and I haven't pronounced the last name, Harris Simiak, Coach H, but it's kind of like what we've been talking about this whole time, and we kind of talked about a little bit off-air, McCoy, but we were saying how young this team is defensively, a whole lot, a lot of sophomore players. Uh, we'll see, like, if Jacob Allen, I know he's not defense, but there's a lot of young talent on this team, <clears throat> and it makes you wonder if, if you're a Rutgers fan, you look to next year, and you say next year is the year for this team to really pounce on the Big Ten because you got to think Wimsat with a full season under his belt, half the defense that's just so young, another season under their belt. And I kind of agree with what Avery Young said there. It's just I think that's the way you have to go about it. You can't view this year, especially if you're a coach, you can't view this year going into it saying, well, you know, we're all young, so we're not going to we're not going to play well. I think if you just establish the culture right from the get-go, you try and get guys to play to the best they can, I think you'll get pretty good results. Yeah, for sure. And um you know, I love I love I love uh Avery Young saying Coach H. I'm sure I'm sure the name will uh, catch on pretty soon with uh Coach Harris Simiak, but uh yeah, for sure. And I think looking in general at this Rutgers football team, it's going to be a lot of fun to see their journey. I know that um, a lot, you know, Greg's had his prediction with um, where he thinks the team's going to be. I had my prediction of where the team's going to be. But I think in general, it's just going to be fun to see this team grow over the over the course of the season, see maybe people you might not have expected uh, on the big stage turn out and become great players. That happens every season with, uh, you know, with football and any sport in general. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see uh, how a lot of these guys develop and especially Gavin Wimsat with, uh, of course, him being one of the premier guys in this Rutgers rebuild. So I'm looking forward to it. Should be should be fun. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, looking forward to it. Before, before we wrap up things here, I want to play the Mel Tucker clip because I know as a Rutgers fan, it gets on my nerves <laughs> whenever I hear him – whenever I hear him say this, and I'm sure it applies to a lot of other Rutgers fans out there. Um, it's a shorter clip, but – if you know, you know, and when you listen to it, just just look out for one word in particular, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss. Here's Mel Tucker earlier today at Big Ten Media Day, courtesy of Big Ten Network. Um, we've got a lot of work to do. We have improved tremendously this out of season, you know, on the field and off the field. We are extremely hungry. 
extremely hungry, and we do have a chip on our shoulder. We've got a lot to prove. Uh, we have a, a very high standard of performance, and we have decided as a program to attack that standard every single day. There's a lot of work being done in East Lansing right now as we speak. We're actually putting the work in. We're chopping wood every day, and the goal for us is to win every game on our schedule. That's our stated goal. Our goal is to finish first. Yeah, all right. So we'll play a little game. So, Jack, did you catch the word I was looking for there? There was a lot going on. I, I mean, I'm as as our fearless leader, Chris Aconis, from a year ago would say, <laughs> I'm making terrible radio right now. Um, but in the <laughs> studio, I am doing the chop signal from uh, good old Greg Schiano. Yeah, there you and go. And it that's what that's what's ringing true. And uh, Mel Tucker happened last time, happened last year, leading up to the Rutgers Michigan State game where he. Basically stole Greg Schiano's uh, catchphrase, his iconic catchphrase at this point, keep chopping. And, uh, well, in his defense, uh, for Mel Tucker, they really uh, proved themselves in that Michigan State game. So I'll give them that. But that, yeah, but that they, doesn't that, – They that, were also saying keep chopping before the first time that they played with Mel Tucker, and Michigan State turned the ball over six times that game and lost. <laughs> good good, good Doing times. their best tempo impression. I yes, yes. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I just I figured I'd throw that in there because you know it just it always gets on my nerves. And I was watching it today, live, and I heard it, and I was like, all right, I have to go record that because that's just too good. I mean, like, come on, you can't figure out something else to say. Like, when you say chop, you're thinking, you know, little by little, you keep chopping at it, you keep reaching towards your goal. You can't say we're chipping away. Like you had to, you gotta say chop, really can't just say we're chipping away at it we're trying to get the first and he's got to say chop you got to be you got to be authentic he's not original coach. what a loser when you're a coach you got to be authentic and that's not a way to do it maybe he, maybe in his head in that in that building in east lansing they think they're being authentic but uh, <laughs> i don't I know tell you, i could tell you for free in piscataway and in new jersey as a whole we don't think he's being very authentic yeah no i don't i don't think so at all um but i i, I thought it was just pretty funny to put that in there just to kind of wrap things up.